to the extent that is the American Bar Association Business Law Section's podcast series. Our podcasts provide general information. They aren't a substitute for legal advice from a licensed professional. We offer both standalone and serial podcasts on a variety of topics and welcome your feedback and suggestions at ababusinesslaw.americanbar.org. We hope you enjoy your selection. Hello, and welcome to AI Today, a podcast for business lawyers about all things AI, including corporate governance, commercial transactions, AI regulation and policy, and litigation. I'm your host, Brad Newman. I established and chaired the ABA Business and Corporate Litigation Committee's Artificial Intelligence Subcommittee. I've done a lot of other things with AI and focused my practice on it, and I'm here today with a very special guest. Bert Kaminsky. Bert is currently uh, at Google. He's the director in their cloud legal department. Um, prior to Google, Bert served in, in a senior legal and e-staff leadership position at companies like GE Digital, ServiceMax, which was a GE spinoff, where he was the chief counsel of the company, and Oracle, where he established and led Oracle's cloud legal team. He's the past president of the New Jersey chapter of the Association of Corporate Counsel and a recognized expert in artificial intelligence. He earned a certificate from MIT on the topic of AI and its implications for business strategy. And he's an IAPP certified information privacy professional for the European data protection uh, laws and regulations. I asked Bert, who I've seen uh, speak on many occasions and know to be a great guy and knowledgeable in artificial intelligence, to join me today to really focus on uh, some issues around commercial applications of AI. And of course, all of the, uh, all of the ideas and concepts Bert are going to talk about today will not be on behalf of Google. It'll be on, uh, based on Bert's extensive experience in this area. And hopefully he'll provide us with some insights. So, Bert, very glad you're here and welcome. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Brad, for the very generous introduction. I'm glad to be here. So let's jump right into it. Uh, lots of technical folks spend a lot of time uh, trying to explain their definition of what artificial intelligence is. And frankly, sometimes it frustrates me because I think all of us can uh, agree on some basic parameters of what artificial intelligence is. So, Bert, can you start off by telling us what you, your view is of the basic notions of artificial intelligence? What AI means to me is the following, Brad. AI is generally defined as computers that can do things that are ordinarily thought to require human intelligence to accomplish. Now, the notion of actual intelligence residing in software is really just a metaphor. Our brains, the human brains, have trillions of neurons that are uh, interconnected, uh, which allows us to think and process information in, the multi, in a multi-dimensional way. And that allows uh, people to exercise uniquely humans' uh, activities and, and skills, such as exercising judgment, creativity, and the ability to generalize. Computers, on the other hand, and even artificially intelligent computers uh, can't do that quite yet. Uh, what computers do is that they can engage in mathematical processing. And this allows computers to do things that human beings can't, uh, such as, for example, 
analyzing vast uh, and complex, extremely complex uh, volumes of data much more deeply and with much greater speed and scale than any human being can possibly do. So, Bert, are, are you basically saying that, you know, tech, technical folks, legal folks, regulatory folks can can all have their own definitions, but you're, you're really noting that uh, there's a difference really between human judgment and computer processing. Is that, is that something you're trying to tell us? Absolutely. Well, hum, what, what human beings can do uh, is, is more, much more of a general intelligence. As of now, artificial intelligence is narrow in nature and can do uh, specific tasks very well. But computers are, uh, are basically are not able to do uh, the type of judgment, creativity, redefining problems, and ability to, to generalize and understand abstractions. That, that humans can. So, so that means that AI is a very powerful tool that can be used to augment what people do and automate repetitive tasks, but it's clearly is they, they won't be serving, at least for the long foreseeable future, in a manner that can be replacing uh, human responsibility generally. I think that's going to make a lot of our listeners feel better. Uh, the Terminator is not upon us. Um, but can you talk a little bit about, in your view, what makes AI different than uh, sort of computer processing before AI came into being? Or, ordinary or a traditional computer processing required a, um, com, uh, the software to be explicitly programmed to, uh, to uh, render certain results and to, to undertake certain processes and, and, and how it would be, how those processes would be, would be accomplished. Um, artificial intelligence, and in particular, its subset of machine learning, does not require uh, the, the model and the program to be explicitly pre-programmed in terms of what the, what the model is, is intended to look for. Machine learning, teaches itself. It learns through experience, through an iterative process based on more data that it consumes. It consumes data, it recognizes patterns, uh, recognizes correlations, and is able to take those patterns and correlations and then adapt its behavior forward and change improve over time, sometimes in ways that are not really predictable uh, from what the programmer set out to to create so i think i think really you you've helped us a lot by making three key points and let, let me see if i understand them the first is that ai relies on massive data sets to uh train itself and then train itself in a way that i think you're saying helps it uh determine patterns and render predictions for purposes of lawyers understanding AI, do you think that, that I've accurately got your definition? That's correct. And that, that is a key, another a key point of how machine learning and AI is different from traditional software. It depends on that data. The data is, uh, and vast quantities of data would be necessary sometimes to train the AI, so it can recognize those. That's the utility of machine learning and, and artificial intelligence. 
That's very helpful. And I've heard you talk before about how we're a long way from the Terminator. And of course, uh, you know, the difference between weak and strong AI. Um, you know, people are often shocked when I tell them Siri is not strong AI. Um, and that's because it really can't replicate the human mind. You know, Siri and all these other ones. I mean, there's a, Amazon has one. Um, but would you agree we're not yet anywhere near uh, reaching the point where artificial intelligence through neural networks and, and any, everything else can, can truly mimic the human mind? Oh, absolutely. I'm trying to think of a quote I read once uh, not too long ago that it was not so much the risk of uh, artificial intelligence being too intelligent. Uh, it's really the risk that it's actually too dumb. Uh, it, really, the uh, the uses that we all see these days are are like you said, weak or narrow or or specific uh, artificial specific intelligence. These are very narrow use cases to address very uh, narrow topics. So, for example, uh, we've seen AI do very well at playing games like chess, predicting well weather, uh, predicting traffic. Uh, conditions and things of that sort, uh, running elevators, optimizing email, uh, you know, scanning for security anom anomalies. So these are very narrow and specific focuses. There is uh, uh, in no way a broader intelligence that, uh, that can be knitted together that we have to worry about in that regard. So let's, let's move on and talk a little bit about, maybe you could tell us some examples of artificial intelligence and how that's used in commercial offerings. Sure, so artificial intelligence is used across many different uh, industries. Uh, and uh, there's, you know, there's a, a heterogeneous variety of, of AI type of applications, and they are sometimes very industry specific. So what you may have in manufacturing is not going to really translate well to financial services. It's, uh, it's not, one thing. But some of the use cases just very generally would be in, in, and I mentioned manufacturing, so it could be in predictive maintenance of, of machinery or, or uh, forecasting demand for manufacturing certain products. Uh, AI is used in retail for inventory planning, predictive inventory planning, and uh, recommendation engines uh, such that we would see when we go online shopping. Uh, in healthcare, it's used for disease identification and, and helping with uh, patient triage and, and, uh, and, and care. In travel and hospitality, we've seen AI being used in uh, aircraft scheduling and, and the landings of, of aircraft. Dynamic pricing, if we go on to TripAdvisor or so and whatever, we're looking to uh, price out flights. That dynamic pricing is, uh, is AI-driven. Financial services. AI is used for uh, uh, risk analytics, tracking market trends and knowing when to buy and sell, evaluating credit worthiness of, uh, in, in, of applicants. And then in, the, in other areas in such as uh, energy and utilities, uh, AI is used for uh, measuring and analytics of power usage, uh, management of smart grids within cities and, uh, and, and uh, customer specific pricing, for example. So those are those are sort of common uh, in this, uh, use cases and, and deployments across industries. Got it. And so 
It seems like what you're saying is that in any industry where large amounts of data can be used to optimize a function or fine tune it or predict whether to increase or decrease power, that that's that is a wide open field. And I know there's a ton of companies, startups, established, public, near public, uh, trying to create commercial offerings in this space. From your perspective, what are a few examples where uh, use of artificial intelligence in a commercial setting can be potentially risky? Artificial intelligence has another unique aspect that I may not have mentioned before. It's not just the analysis of data and finding correlations and patterns within the data and yielding predictions and insights. What makes artificial intelligence a bit different and perhaps the risky aspect, it is that it is able to make those decisions autonomously. It is able to have adaptive behavior such that as it goes through data, it can actually trans, uh, transfer, transform its own model and behave in ways uh, that the, the original programmers uh, did not anticipate. Uh, and so if you are using artificial intelligence in, in certain capacities, there can be a, a, a higher risk for that. So here's, uh, here's a, a couple of examples that if you are in areas that you need to have explainability, so making decisions uh, when somebody is applying for housing or healthcare decisions, uh, applications for credit and credit cards and mortgages, uh, employment, whether you're going to hire somebody or promote them or not, uh, evaluating applicants for insurance and and under and 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 doing underwriting on their on their risk profile, all of those affect the the rights of individuals, and uh, the Europeans would consider those fundamental human rights. And AI, especially in its deep learning uh, modes, may not yield explainable answers uh, unto why certain decisions were made. And so that's where some of the high risk, higher risk uses of artificial intelligence. If explainability is not important, such as image recognition or advertising and you know, security anomaly detection, then it works very well. If explainability is, is very important and you're dealing with the rights and the European, European laws would consider rights and freedoms of individual, that those become higher risk use cases. And so you and I have talked a lot in prior uh, discussions about things like fairness and, and uh, transparency and explainability. Lately though, uh, while the academics and other folks are continuing to focus on that, myself, others, we're starting to really focus on what we call ethical AI. And, and you know, I, I tend to formulate where I'm focused on ethical AI is where everything's explainable, everything's transparent, nothing is biased, but it still doesn't comport with our ideas of individual freedoms. So keen off that, you know, what can you tell me about what you're seeing as some of the latest developments in what everyone you included is calling ethical AI? And how does that differ from what you just explained? 
I think there's been a recognition over these last few years that as AI is being put into uses that can affect the, the rights of people, that it must do so in an ethical manner. And so this notion of ethical AI has been addressed from academic standpoints, from uh, government sector uh, standpoints, uh, from uh, industry uh, standpoints, and from companies themselves. Essentially, in brief, what ethical AI is, uh, is looking to accomplish is that the creation of artificial intelligence and machine learning should include and, and be designed to being uh, ethical in its purpose and design and its development and use. It should be transparent, so it's, uh, it's understandable how it works. It should be explainable, such in a way that people can understand. Uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's formulation should be interpretable so people can understand how the results may change as inputs and situations change. It should be fair so it doesn't result in bias and impact uh, certain users disproportionately. And ultimately, it should be auditable. There should be some sort of uh, 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 access by third parties or understanding to validate uh, how it's working to assure that it can be trusted. And we've seen ethical AI uh, just very briefly. The White House has uh, released ethical uh, AI guideline, guidelines uh, earlier this year. There are uh, standards by, uh, issued by the uh, National Institute of Standards and Technology, NIST, that uh, go down these areas. European Commission has a, a working group on AI ethics. The state of California is uh, talking about uh, uh, in, and endorsing the Future of Life Institute's uh, AI principles. So this is how it's being addressed sort of on the public side. Uh, even the ABA has issued a resolution, uh, uh, 112, that uh, where uh, it's been resolved that excuse me, courts and lawyers need to address emerging uh, AI-related AI issues in the practice of law. So uh, you're just reminding me, I'm probably going to have to have you back as one of my guests when we have a whole episode on ethical AI. But I really want to get your thoughts on something that I think you have especially unique knowledge about from a legal and uh, regulatory standpoint. And, and that is talk, starting to talk about best practices for AI governance in corporations that, uh, you know, aren't really subject to a lot of, if any domestic United States laws. So we live in this era where everyone's developing AI and unlike many other areas, there's no law they have to follow. So someone like you who's done the things you've done and been on the inside and in the C-suite, can you speak a little about your view about what companies should employ when talking about best practices for AI governance and what the right approach is in your opinion? Yeah, uh, certainly. And you are right. There is no law now that is an AI law, although in the in the European Commission is uh, exploring that. And some companies are, uh, in fact, somewhat supportive of AI regulation generally. I will say that for most aspects of AI, there are existing legal regimens that uh, that already uh, handle that, including product liability law, uh, laws uh, involving uh, 
you know, a- airline safety and, and, and food safety and the like. So AI is, you know, as it is, uh, as a technology that's just in, embedded within the output of those industries uh, and the, the existing laws may cover that. Now, uh, there are, now companies are, what companies are doing are exploring whether that they need to uh, abide by AI principles uh, themselves beyond what laws may require. And these AI principles and AI, uh, AI uh, ethics uh, uh, regimens generally involve topics such as AI development within companies should be socially beneficial. It should be not causing harm and should be for uh, creating products that serve the, the good of, of its consumers. Uh, that uh, to avoid a, to avoid uh, creating and reinforcing um, bias. Uh, other AI principles that companies are adopting the, that the AI application should be built and tested for safety and, uh, and ultimately be accountable to users and, and including privacy by design elements of, of the like. So those are a, a key area that companies are doing. And as companies are creating uh, AI uh, privacy uh, policies that starts filtering into best practices on how AI, how companies are using uh, those principles to ensure uh, good AI governance in their in their commercial products. So totally hear you and uh, followed that, but let's helicopter down. So. Does AI risk management rest with technical folks, with the people who develop it, with HR, IT, legal? Can you talk a little bit about your view on that? AI risk management will begin with the technical teams. So the technical teams will typically be the the programmers, data science teams, engineering teams, and they will design AI type offerings based on the AI principles or ethical frameworks that the company itself has already adopted, which I outlined just a little while ago. And those review processes uh, will involve a cross-functional team. And the cross-functional team would typically have members of, of legal, it can have members of HR in compliance and, uh, and other engineering teams and the like. And the goal of those teams is to ensure that what is being uh, created from an AI perspective, from a product perspective, is going to be one of quality. So it will be the uh, the type of data will be examined to uh, for the product. Uh, it will be uh, stress tested to ensure that the results are going to be consistent. It's going to be tested for bias. There are a lot of products out there, Brad, that actually can test AI models that are in development to ins- to detect whether they are being developed with biases. Uh, some examples of those are IBM AI Fairness uh, Toolkit. There's a 890 by Capgemini, Power BI by Microsoft. Google has got a similar product. And you can run these products against AI tools and, and their uh, underlying test data to see that if uh, if those products that are being developed are starting to yield biased results, and you can actually recalibrate those tools in the development stage. So uh, those are some of the key aspects of, of 
where the development teams and the review panels uh, in the development of these products. Now, you mentioned, does it have to go higher or does it have to go to the executive level? And it, it surely does. So uh, put it this way, there is there is a sense in, in, in the industry that corporate boards today are not entirely prepared to fully uh, understand the benefits and risks of artificial intelligence. Uh, uh, there are a fair number of companies that still view this as a as a cost saving, a cost cutting technology, and and not really employing it in a more strategic sense. Management will need to realize that as AI is being employed within companies, that may involve a a transition of existing employees, people's jobs may be changing. So it is incumbent on management to understand that and to work with employees to upskill and retrain employees when AI is being introduced within the organization uh, to facilitate these results. Got it. So a lot of our listeners uh, are business lawyers, and some may not be as familiar as others with advising clients in this space and others may be very experienced privacy lawyers and AI lawyers like uh, uh, like us who are familiar with this. But but what I'm hearing from you, if I, I want to make sure I got it right, that the best practices internally for ensuring that an AI product is ready to be released has to involve uh, legal as well as the technical creators uh, for the reasons you've outlined. Is that accurate? Absolutely. The evaluation of, of AI models is going to necessarily entail whether there's bias, data privacy compliance, explainability, and, uh, and, and that type of thing. And that's where legal is going to be best suited to provide some of its input in in the development for that product. And so just speaking practically and, of course, hypothetically for, for what I'm about to ask, is if you're sitting in legal and you, uh, from your vantage point, have concerns about any of the factors you've described, explainability, fairness, whatever, and the technical folks say, well, you know, we've tested it and it's fine, there is some objective ways, and some of which you, you've identified, including third-party applications, that can allow legal, who, who may not be computer scientists, who may not be machine learning trained, to say, okay, well, there's some guidelines, and, and these this product needs to pass these guidelines to have the blessing of legal. Is that accurate? Yes, that's, that is true. As it goes through the review committee process, uh, and presumingly that the company has adopted that type of process, that legal would be a part of that. And uh, and legal shouldn't be put in a position, Brad, as to being evaluate evaluating uh, uh, you know a, a given uh, a ML model or so. We're not technical experts, but this is the challenge of the technical experts to be able to demonstrate to us that as lawyers, that it operates in a way that is, uh, that is fair and unbiased and protects privacy and enhances compliance. So, so for those in-house, they have to be aware that this is part of the best practice chain 
And for those on the outside advising clients, they have to understand this process to give their clients the best advice. I think that's very helpful. Now, coming switching from sort of the internal compliance construct and moving to a commercial transaction. For a company looking to purchase or license an AI or ML machine learning solution, what are some of the key contractual issues that routinely come up and that practitioners, both business lawyers in in-house legal departments, as well as corporate and commercial lawyers on the outside, need to recognize if it's an AI transaction? Well, I'll say, first of all, that uh, any time that a company is purchasing a solution that is based on AI or machine learning, due diligence is the, is the number one thing. So we don't want to rely on, on contractual terms uh, there should be uh, uh, sufficient confidence in the solution that's being purchased that it actually works. It works in accordance with what the expectations are with, with, that the customer is buying it. So, so let me jump in there. So on a, on, a, on a purchase, that makes perfect sense. I need to know what I'm buying. But I'm licensing AI and they hand me an agreement. And I remember I listened to this AI Today podcast and Bert was talking about, I need to know what the product is. And I ask them in negotiations and they scoff. They say, well, you're licensing it. And what RAI does is a trade secret. We're letting you use it and you're paying us a royalty to use it, but we're certainly not going to let you diligence the algorithm in every way, shape and form. Can you speak a little bit to the response on the, uh, uh, you know, for the entity seeking to license some AI? Yes, that's uh, there is always this trade-off about how or or, or a, a rub conflict between how much a company can do a due diligence of a product it is buying before it runs into the vendor saying these are trade secrets. Certainly, a mature vendor in the AI space is going to provide uh, sufficient assurances that the that the model is going to be um, uh, operating in in a way that renders. A quality and non-biased results. Uh, I will say is that um, that AI, if it is embedded as a feature within a greater product, and that seems that is by the way that's the trend. AI is is becoming less of a standalone product, but more of an embedded feature. Then uh, what what the what the AI vendor can do is demonstrate to the client how that feature works. And usually at that point, the terms and conditions of the product overall will govern that purchase. It's not going to be a specific AI terms for a feature or function of advanced analytics that may be AI driven. Uh, if AI is uh, sold as a standalone product and, uh, and it is a commodity product, then you'll have pretty basic licensing terms and, and uh, disclaimers that go with it. And some of those disclaimers that I've seen in the industry and, and some of those restrictions are that the purchasing company, the, the, the customer, if you will, uh, cannot use the offering to create uh, competing products, that the, any training data that the, that the uh, customer is using needs to uh, be assured of coming with the right rights and consents so that the, serve, so that the AI vendor could could uh, store it uh, as, as part of the uh, as part of the customer's use of the service, and typically 
that if it's a commodity product, there'll be disclaimers about using it for high-risk applications where there is a, a threat of, of death or, or significant property damage. Well, let me just ask you if I heard you right, because you made a very interesting point. Are you saying that if I am going to license your AI product, there very well may be a commercial term in the licensing agreement that requires me to give you, the AI producer uh, who's licensing me the product, access to the data uh, my company is putting into the AI algorithm? For you know, benefit of, of the developer of the AI, or did I did I not understand that correctly? Yeah, no, that that may be. So let's put this scenario here. So they're uh, um, putting aside a commodity service. Uh, there, a a a customer can purchase data science services, sort of customized AI services, where the AI vendor will actually. Uh, use existing models or build models based on data that the customer gives. So the customer says that they have a problem. They need to solve the problem. They'd like to solve the problem through insights generated through machine learning and artificial intelligence. The way to find out that problem, for example, uh, uh, we are getting uh, manufacturing defects. We're not exactly sure where they originally all the time and why and how often and like. Here is all of our manufacturing uh, internal data uh, that can be provided to the AI service vendor and the, and the vendor will then run its AI analytics on that data to determine patterns uh, that can detect uh, correlations where defects in the manufacturing process may arise. But because the customer is providing the vendor with that data, there's, the vendor wants to be assured that there are sufficient rights for the AI vendor to, uh, to perform the services on that data. Got it. So give me the top three contract clauses. Uh, the uh, one who is licensing the AI needs to look out for be aware of, know how to negotiate? The, the, the entity that is licensing the customer will sometimes run into disclaimers by the AI vendor. And the, and the disclaimer would be that, uh, that the uh, service will is disclaimed for its uh, uh, quality or results. Uh, and that's something that needs to be examined. So, uh, it is possible that an AI vendor may be able to give a, a warranty and assurance of performance for very simple uh, use cases that there's a high degree of confidence of what the output would be. So that could involve uh, 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 re reviewing uh, corporate invoices or uh, or doing advertising or other kind of use cases where the where the vendor has seen this type of thing before and it's and there's and you have a high uh, degree of confidence in the output uh, if there's going to be a purchase of an ai service that is going to be very specific to the customer's problem and use cases and data set then the disclaimer will usually uh, apply uh, and 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 the disclaimer, the, the basis of this disclaimer is that that the model will behave differently over time based on how data changes. 
So uh, it may perform and give certain outputs at the uh, in the early stages, but as the model starts adapting and learning based on on uh, new data and new inputs, then it may uh, start yielding different results, and uh, and it's sometimes called the machine learning or model drift. Uh, and in that case, uh, that is not a, a flaw in in the in the AI application. It is really just the uh, as as the machine adapts and learns differently uh, that uh, that has to be my, the customer has to be mindful that that the AI model needs to be recalibrated all along. So that's the basis of some of the uh, of some of the disclaimers for that, uh, and that should be examined. Uh, I guess another main topic could be uh, IP ownership. Uh, from a vendor standpoint, that uh, that often the vendor is providing uh, uh, pre pre uh, canned data sets and pre existing models and uh, and uh, perhaps even open source based algorithms and, uh, and 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 the like. The customer sometimes will say, "Well, we're as we are giving you data, we want to have some ownership." of aspects of the AI model. There's the, the subject of an entirely different podcast, Brad, would be the extent to which IP rights even apply to, uh, to uh, machine learning. Uh, but uh, let me say this in brief, is that that certainly that uh, data that the customer provides is uh, typically owned by the customer, that oftentimes that the, that the uh, weights and and balances and the and the biases and I'm not saying that in a negative sense, but the, the the parameters within the model that that uh, that the customer uses to train its ML application, those sometimes can be owned by the customer. The, the predictions that are yielded and new data that's generated with that that can be owned. But uh, typically, uh, from an IP perspective, the vendor, and from a trade secret perspective, the vendor uh, will want to uh, have ownership, uh, or at least a license, a broad license, to retain the uh, learnings of its machine learning algorithms uh, as, as it uh, adapts and improves over time. Got it. And, and so just last question on this topic. Very specific. If I'm licensing your AI and you say in your contract you're, you, you are not warranting, uh, well, it's, it would be that you're not warranting. You will not be liable for any bias, you know, third-party claims that the algorithm is biased and, and not transparent and not explainable. Is that routine something that you should push back on? Is it purely an issue of bargaining power? What's your experience there? It really is a, 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 um, a function of what AI is, uh, is, is what's being developed. What you're just describing is beyond AI and uh, being a feature or a capability of a, a broader application. And it's beyond AI being a commodity product that really is in the realm of a custom development where uh, the uh, where the the customer is uh, providing a lot of its requirements into a build of a model and a system that is brand new. I will say that uh, in closing with that is that there's a lot of dependencies on the, the customer. They typically will have to ensure that their data sets are accurate 
that the data sets are not biased to begin with, that, uh, that they are testing and validating the expected outcomes of the custom-built machine learning model, and, uh, and that it's, uh, it will, as it changes over time, that the customer needs to monitor that and have uh, means and methods to recalibrate the model to ensure that it continues working in the in the way that they uh, require. Whenever I talk to you, the time flies by, but we're, we're, we're coming to the close of today's podcast. And I want to sort of wrap it up by asking you, from your in-house legal department experience and perspective, which is deep and vast, you know, what concerns you the most about AI from a general risk compliance and brand perspective? And what are some of the advice you would give your outside counsel as to how they can add the most value to companies like the ones you've worked for? Great question, Brett. Let me think. The The answer is this. From an in-house perspective, it is less about a technical and legal issue that comes up or more about the reputational risk of the AI vendor as it's building and marketing and commercializing its products and services. Uh, it is a, uh, the, from, from an AI company perspective, the last thing it wants is a reputation for creating powerful technologies that cannot be explained, that render uh, errors and bias and, and poor quality outcomes. Uh, and that uh, it's being it's using data in ways that is not consented to ultimately by the sources or users of that data. Essentially, it's a lack of trust, and and that is I, from an in-house perspective is uh, my greatest concern: the, the the lack of trust. I would say for outside counsel, I have uh, I have three uh, pieces of advice. I would say from what I would look for for outside counsel is that uh, to counsel would need to help define the issue very carefully. AI is enormously complex. It is very easy to get lost in the details of, of the issues and the attendant legal issues and ethical issues and, 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 and engineering issues and the like. So a key value add by outside counsel is to really to break down the issues presented by AI into solvable pieces that allows for companies to make sensible evaluations and resolutions of those issues. And that is especially important in contexts such as healthcare and in financial services and other areas where we're dealing with uh, personal information. Uh, another area where uh, outside counsel can really assist is that what is the future of the law governing artificial intelligence. Uh, there's no AI law, and the boundaries of existing law are being pushed to their edge by the uses and, and issues being raised by artificial intelligence. So I really would look to outside counsel to have a, a finger on the pulse of how that law and how regulators are evolving and growing and, and moving the law into uh, the, the next generation and forward-looking, if you will. And then finally, I would look to outside counsel to give very practical evaluation of the risk from a business point of view. The, the answer at the end of it is that AI will be adopted and uh, that it's not useful to raise every conceivable risk, but how to promote and resolve 
issues in a risk-based manner that are presented by AI that allows the technology to, get, to retain its utility and safety going forward. Bert, I can't thank you enough for your time and uh, you, your insight. It's always a pleasure speaking with you. Um, again, I'm Brad Newman, host of AI Today, brought to you by the ABA Business and Corporate Litigation Committee. And uh, please look for future episodes where I'll be speaking to uh, lawmakers, judges, and other folks shaping the law in this area. But we were super gratified to have you back, Bert, and uh, I hope uh, you'll let me track you down and invite you on again for a future episode. I would be delighted. Thank you, Brad, for having me. Thank you for listening to the ABA Business Law Section's podcast series, To the Extent That. The section offers a robust collection of content. To explore more about this topic, or to learn about joining the section, visit ambar.org bizlaw. That's B-I-Z-L-A-W.